Amen. Right, so Matthew chapter 12, and it's part two today. We're going from verse 31, but we're going to start a little bit earlier. I'll just give you a quick recap. Um, last week in verses 1 to 30, um, it, it started with the Pharisees trying to criticise them for eating on the Sabbath, didn't they? And um, they were plucking the ears of corn, and um, it was this sort of holier-than-thou attitude from the Pharisees that we looked at. And then Jesus pointed out their hypocrisy, didn't he? Um, kind of, you know, talking about with David, with the showbread, and... And he reminded them, you know, who he is, didn't he, with that? And, and goes into, you know, after that, he reminds them of who they are. He then goes into their synagogue and he's like, okay, and then heals a guy on, on the Sabbath with a withered hand, which again, shouldn't be a problem, should it? Um, but they get mad, plot how to destroy him, you know, as you do. Um, how, how can we kill God? Um, so, so he just moves on with the multitude following him. He, he, he points out, doesn't he, that he's, he's not there to fight, just to do a job. Okay. And, and he then casts the devil out of this blind and dumb guy. And we're going to pick it up from verse 24. So look, at, uh, look down at, at verse 24, Matthew chapter 12 there, where it reads, But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow did not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Um, I'd like to pray before we continue. Father, thank you for this uh, great passage of scripture here. Help me to just do it justice, Lord. Help me to preach it accurately and clearly and, and boldly, Lord. Help, just fill me with your spirit, please. Help everyone here to have attentive ears. Help me to just get across what you want me to get across them today. In Jesus' name, for all of this. Amen. So these wicked Pharisees have just said that Jesus is possessed by Beelzebub, which, as we see, is another name for Satan, as it's used interchangeably in this passage now. Verse 25 says, And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And we looked at that in depth last week, but his point here is in the next verse. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall they then his kingdom stands. So if he was possessed by Satan and he was casting out devils, that would mean that Satan's kingdom was divided against itself. That's the point, isn't it? And, but there is a truth in there, isn't there, that Satan has a kingdom. Yeah? Don't miss that truth there. Satan does have a kingdom and the other devils are under his command. Hence, he said, and if Satan cast out Satan, because basically they're under his command, they do as he say, it's as good as basically casting out himself, isn't it? Because the devils do his will, it seems. Okay, is it, not to miss that, but we'll continue. Verse 27, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your, judge, your judges. And as we see there, Beelzebub, Satan being used interchangeably. And we looked at seven sons of Sceva last week in Acts 19. But like I said, this could be referring for, we know some of Jesus' disciples talk about his son, you know, by whom do your sons cast them out? Obviously, the disciples going out and doing that. We don't know what the relationship was there. The apostle John is described in John 18 as being known unto the high priest. So, I don't know, maybe there's some connection there, maybe not. Um, you know, it's hard to tell exactly with that verse, but verse 28 then says, and if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. He's saying that he couldn't do it without the Holy Spirit who's stronger than Satan, yeah? Verse 30, he that is not with me is against me and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. And this is where we left off last week in this context talking about the Pharisees. Let's continue now. Verse 31. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not 
be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So just to make this clear, there's a lot of false doctrine around this, okay? So I know we've gone over this before, but you know, things like this, it can never hurt to go over them again. Telling some tongue-wagging clown that speaking a mumbo-jumbo language isn't the Holy Ghost is not blaspheming the Holy Ghost, okay? Just to make that clear, because some people try and come out with this, you know, the, 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 the unsaved sort of Pentecostal pastor will try and use that excuse amongst many others. Telling some tongue-chanting devil that they have a devil isn't blaspheming the Holy Ghost, okay? That's not blaspheming the Holy Ghost either. Insulting Jesus isn't blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Insulting some false prophet isn't blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Insulting a, a, a born-again, saved Christian, a man of God, woman of God, child of God, isn't blaspheming the Holy Ghost. This is referring to verse 24, where it says, But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. They're saying that it's not the Holy Spirit indwelling Jesus, but a devil. That's what they're saying. That's how he's casting out devils. That's what they're claiming. Now turn to Mark 3 in case you're not convinced. So Mark 3 and verse 22. Mark chapter 3 and verse 22. Mark 3, 22 says, And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub. And by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. So they're saying that he's possessed. Yeah, that's saying he's possessed. And he called unto them and said unto them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. Obviously a parallel passage here. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand but have an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house to spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Verse 30, the key verse here, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. There you have it, okay? Saying that Jesus Christ is possessed with a devil rather than indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's an unforgivable sin. He that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness. So is, something, is that something therefore that we have to be careful not to say? Because then that's the next one, isn't it? Then you've got the people going, well, you've just got to make sure you don't do that. Make sure you don't blaspheme. Or, you know, someone will say, well, as long as you don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that's the only way that you could lose your salvation. Well, of course not, because you can't lose your salvation. Okay, just to make that very clear. Ephesians 1.13 says, After that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit after that you believe. John 5.24 says, If you believe, you have everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is, is, passed from death unto life. Okay, it happens the second you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, that you put your trust, your faith, your belief in Jesus Christ. Calling Jesus possessed is something that someone unsaved does to become a reprobate, basically. Now, someone who's already a reprobate can obviously do that as well, but it's something that someone does, I believe, is one of the ways someone becomes a reprobate. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Now, some might say that you could only do that if you're a reprobate. And I've kind of thought about this a bit. 
But for me, it seems similar to the sort of rejection of God described in Romans 1 that results in reprobation. So if you look at Romans 1 and from verse 18, Romans 1, 18, the Bible reads, for the wrath of God, Romans 1, 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Calling Jesus possessed, explaining his miracles as devilry, black magic, etc., is taking the truth of Christ, except the miracles, but denying the truth, isn't it? Look at verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. That was clearly shown to, the, to these people, wasn't it? Verse 20, for the invisible things of him, him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now that's innate, isn't it? Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. It still sounds fitting, doesn't it? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So they rejected God, made their own version. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonour their own bodies between themselves. Filth, yeah, filth. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship to serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And that, for me, is a common denominator with all these different types of reprobates. They've changed the truth of God into a lie. The false prophet has changed the truth of God into a lie, haven't they? The Bible perverter that we see in Revelation chapter 22 has changed the truth of God into a lie. The queer hair in this verse or this chapter has changed the truth of God into a lie, haven't they? That the person who takes a mark, you could say, well, he has to worship the image of the beast, the counterfeit Christ. They seem to have changed the truth of God into a lie, haven't they? And that's kind of after, really, I think, like last chance saloon for salvation as well. And the Holy Ghost blasphemer that we're talking about today has changed the truth of God into a lie. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. That's the result of that. That's the result of change the truth of God into a lie, as we've just seen here. Likewise, and, and one of the results, not saying that everyone's going to become like that. Romans 1 is talking about that particular type of reprobate. Many of these do end up with that sort of unclean lust. Well, they all end up with some form of unclean lust, just whether or not they go through with those. And, and what that type of unclean lust is. Verse 27 says, And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that, that recompense of their error, which was me. That's a sodomite. Okay, that's a sodomite. That's not what the world says, but that's what a sodomite is. That's what the Bible says. They're reprobates, they're people that have rejected God, and what happens to them? God gives them over to this, to vile affections burning in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly. Okay, that's a sodomite. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. God gives them over after they're changing the truth of God into a lie, right? Then they're given over. Now go back to Matthew 12 with that in mind. Matthew 12 and verse 31, 
Jesus said, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So these people who have just said this are reprobates, right? They're reprobates. Now, here's a question. Are there people nowadays that would say the same thing? Yes. Yes, there are. And the most obvious ones are what the world calls Jews. That's... They are, aren't they? Now, let's just, just, make it, just make it clear here. Some people, the world will call a Jew just because their parent, or it seems more importantly, apparently their mother, claimed to be a Jew. Now, that, that's, you know, that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. We're talking about people that, that are reprobate because they're saying that Jesus Christ is possessed by a devil. Now, I would say that a, a large amount of religious Jews are these people. And now they don't have to be religious to be a reprobate Jew. And, and there seems to be all sorts of wickedness in that religion. Let's make it clear, it's a religion. Okay? It's not a race because you could convert to Judaism and people throughout history have converted to Judaism. In fact, there was a massive conversion of Judaism amongst what, we, what are known as Ashkenazi Jews around about the 8th century. It had nothing to do with these people. It, it, the racing is ridiculous, okay? It's just kind of a way of basically protecting this, what is a, a, a horrible, horrible religion from being called a horrible religion. Well, well, we'll just kind of go under the whole, you know, well, anti-racism line and anti-Semite and all this. Most of these people aren't Semites. They're not Semitic people. They're Eastern Europeans. Most of them are ginger. I mean, it's, <laughs> a lot of them are ginger. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But... Point being, that, that that religion is a wicked religion. And if you're following that religion, and, and I, I mean, definitely if you're preaching that religion, you're preaching a false gospel, you're preaching a false God. But if you're following that religion and you're to the point where you're agreeing with, with the teachings of the Babylonian Talmud, for me, you're blaspheming the Holy Ghost then because the, the Talmud says some pretty wicked things about Jesus Christ. Ultimately, he's a magician. All these things are they're basically calling him possessed, right? Now turn to Romans chapter 2, because if you're, you're still wondering, you're going, wait a second, brother Ian, because these, these are, aren't these people found in the Old Testament? You know, who are these people? Well, while you turn to Romans 2, so I'm going to read Revelation 2.9, which says, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy. Notice the word there, blasphemy. What sort of blasphemy is he, is he talking about here? I would say it's this sort of blasphemy. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So the Bible prophesied 2,000 years ago, well, in fact, it wasn't even just prophesying because it was talking about people in that current day as well, and that has continued ever since, of people that, that are blaspheming, the, the blasphemy which, well, to make a point of this, and the blasphemy of them, and then we're seeing this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and we see a religion that does that, which call themselves Jews. Really take Inspector Clouseau to work this out, does it? Okay? Who, who say they're Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. I, I mean, it, it's hardly rocket science, is it? And you've turned to Romans 2 and verse 28, which says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which, which is outward in the flesh. So... So, okay, so he's not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Well, this is a bit strange, because I thought that we could outwardly tell if someone was a Jew. Well, apparently not, according to the Bible, if we care what the Bible says. Verse 29, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. 
And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in a letter whose praise is not a member of God. Now, according to the, Bi according to the Bible, circumcision is not outward. It's talking about the New Testament, obviously, here. If you go, wait a second, what happened to the eighth-day circumcision? No, no, we moved on from that, okay? Anyone's wondering, we're, we're in the New Testament now. Okay, so what's that about then? Well, who are these people there for? So, oh, well, we've just got to find the ones that are circumcising the heart, right? Well, let's see who those people are. You don't have to turn there. Philippians 3.3 says, For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. That's you, me, everyone here that's saved. Okay? We're the circumcision. We are Jews. We are Jews according to the Bible. So who are these that say they're Jews and are not, but the synagogue of Satan? Hmm. Hmm. A hard riddle to solve, isn't it? It's not really, is it? It really isn't. Unless you've just been poisoned by Zionist propaganda, not only your whole life, but, but sadly, your whole church life, it seems by most so-called churches out there. And, and a lot of them are churches. They're just completely out to lunch on this particular doctrine. Okay, there are, there are saved men of God out there preaching the Bible, who send their people outside when you preach the right gospel, who somehow have been hoodwinked into thinking that the people that the Bible says say they're Jews and are not, but the synagogue of Satan, are actually some special people that God's not done with yet. He's not done with them, but they think he's not done in a good way, that, you know, they're going to get this kind of miraculous, like, group salvation at the end. The rest of them will, <laughs> unfortunately, just didn't make the boat because they didn't happen to live till the end times to get this miraculous salvation. But those ones that happen to be there right at the end, well, they're going to get this. It's just nuts, isn't it? Absolutely nuts. And obviously we've preached about this stuff before. It does need preaching regularly because it's such a wicked false doctrine out there. And it's even more wicked when you think about how wicked the people that they are promoting as being these, you know, God's people, that they're still God's people and everything else, who are just like converts to a wicked false religion. It's just, it's not, it's, it's, the truth is stranger than fiction, isn't it? And, and it's, it's, it's infuriating, isn't it? When you sit in these churches and you're hearing these people just, just preaching this, this heresy, rank heresy, so often. And, and this is everywhere you go, pretty much, isn't it? And, it? and amongst many false churches, they believe this junk as well. Because many of these false Jews, like I said, still to this day, call Jesus miracles black magic. Because they recognise that there was Jesus Christ. Okay, so unlike other people of religions and so-called people that kind of just deny really a lot about Christ and just kind of don't really want to hear it and everything else, and these people are, are, are acknowledging that someone called Jesus came. They're denying, obviously, that he was the Christ. They're still looking for their Messiah. Yeah, their Messiah's coming. He's called the Antichrist. But... Uh, they, but they acknowledge him, but then they explain away his miracles as basically works of Satan. That's basically what they're saying. Now, if you believe that, if, you're, if you say that, if you say that, the Bible says that you're a reprobate. You have never forgiveness. And that, for me, is why there is so much wickedness amongst members of this false religion. So much. Every, I mean... Look, the, the truth is, they're such willing pawns of Satan, aren't they? That's why they're, they're so easily used for so much wickedness in the world. And if you go, well, what are you talking about, brother Ian? You know, what, what sort of wickedness? I, I'm talking about so-called, and what the Bible says, 
say they are Jews and are not but the synagogue of Satan. I'm, and again, I'm talking about a religion here, okay, in case someone tries to oh, he must be a racist. No, we're talking about a religion, okay? We're, we're told to hate every false way. And this is probably the falsest way of them all, because this is just a religion of reprobates. That's why you've got so many of this, these types of religious people, these people behind the porn industry. Oh, such, such fine, you know, what a fine religion, God's people behind the wickedness of the porn industry, behind the banking cartels, behind the lies of the mainstream media, behind Hollywood, behind all of this false information, the way that just, just the world gets poisoned by all this filth and smut and just all of it. And it's the same people. It's the people that the Bible warned us about 2,000 years. Well, in fact, really warned us about before that, but at least it's clear as day, isn't it, in the book of Revelation. And, and that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing him making it clear because some might say, well, you know, that was something for that day, maybe. That was that day they saw Jesus as saying he's possessed. I believe it, it, that's, that's what we're still seeing. That's what we're still seeing. And, and, and that's a religion. That's why that religion is so wicked. And that's why those people, it's not that they're, oh, well, they're just so lost. That's why they're so hard to preach the gospel to because so many of them are, are, are reprobates. Go back to verse 33. Now, on the plus side of that, if you think, well, what's going to happen? Well, hell will be hot for those people because there are some wicked, wicked people out there, like horrendously wicked people, sadly, in that group of what, basically, of this religion. And hell will be hot for those. Now, just, just to make it clear, look, you know, if someone says to me, I'm a Jew, like, I want to still preach, I want to try and get them saved. Look, we love the lost, right? We don't know they're reprobate. Sometimes you know when someone's a reprobate. You don't know, do you? So we want to try and preach them. We want to try and get them saved. But it's, it's pretty hard, isn't it? Yeah? Look, we, we love all people. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what creed, religion, anything else. We want to try and get them saved. But I'll tell you what, the people who, re who really believe, and like I said, who, 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 who will say things such as Jesus was this and that, you know, the black magic stuff, all that, they're basically saying he's possessed. They're wicked. They're reprobates. The people preaching that, rabbis and stuff, reprobates. And that's why there's so much filth, so much child abuse amongst that lot as well. It's absolutely horrendous. Anyway, let's move on from that because that's a pretty grim, grim topic, isn't it? Verse 33 says, Jesus said, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. Okay, so the tree is known by his fruit. Is this saying that you can tell a Christian by how holy they appear? Is that what he's talking about? Is he saying that as long as you exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, because many will go to that, won't they? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. No, because you have to walk in the Spirit, and not all Christians do that, do they? Okay? You don't have to walk in the Spirit for the fruits of the Spirit, and not everyone walks in the Spirit. Is he saying that Christian is known by getting other people saved? Well, no, because most don't get anyone saved. Okay? Most Christians, believe it or not, don't get anyone saved. And, and look, that's a hard thing to measure anyway. Because I know like, people, people want to have something tangible. Well, I could tell that that person, because a lot of the time you don't really know how someone got saved. They might say, oh, well, you know, I heard the gospel from this person. But a lot of the time they've maybe heard it from someone else as well. Maybe they've heard other bits or maybe, and especially nowadays, it's very hard, isn't it? You know, and, and that's a hard way. And you don't really know if they're saved. Because, again, how do you know that? Oh, well, I can see someone else that they might have got. Look, it's, it's not actually a very, it's not something you can grab hold of. So how do we know? And everyone likes to try, well, well what about if they're getting chastised? Look, people go through what seems like chastisement in life. Doesn't mean they're saved, does it? 
a lot of people in, you, you go to the guys down, down, you know, in central London, I was walking past yesterday, rolling around in the gutter, the drug addicts and stuff. Oh, he must have been saved. Look, he's, look, he's living, he's got a down and out life. Well, no, he's not. He's just a down and out. He's a drug addict. Yeah. So look, we can't, we can't ultimately really tell by any of that. How do we tell? Well, it said here for the tree is known by his fruit. Well, what's the context here? The Pharisees have just said that he's possessed with the devil. Okay, this is straight following on from that. And he's just called them reprobates. He said in verse 32, And whosoever speaketh, speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. And clearly, everything Jesus Christ was doing was so clearly of the Holy Ghost, wasn't it? Then he said, Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. What's the fruit? It's what comes out of the mouth. It's what comes out of the mouth. Verse 34, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. That's a good fruit and a corrupt fruit, isn't it? But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Clearly what, 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 is being, what, we're, what we're hearing here. So it's about what comes out of your mouth. So in verse 33 where Jesus said, for the tree is known by his fruit, that's how we know what people really believe. But the sad truth is that the wolves in sheep's clothing aren't always so quick to tell us, are they? So they're not just coming out with exactly what they believe. So that's the frustrating bit, because we, we want something tangible, but it's not, as, it's not as simple as that, is it? They often speak both sides of their mouth, don't they? And, and many of us have come across false prophets who, who say one thing and then sort of, you know, you've been in, I've been in churches where, where they claim to believe grace through faith, they claim they don't believe repent of your sins, they claim they, they, you know, they believe like we believe, on most things, probably not the Jews, and then, how many months later, however long it is, they just come out with the big one? Oh, yeah, you've got to repent of your sins, eh? Like, what are you talking about? You just, we spoke about this. You know, it's, it's maddening, isn't it, really? Eventually, it does come out, I think. But I don't know, I don't think there's a timeline for this, is there, really? And look, but it does come out, I think, in the end. Now, just to make it clear with this, because, you know, that preacher has to say, clearly what they that they believe that because you could easily find if, if you uh, look, i'm sure people do it i don't look into this stuff i'm sure people get these mock-up cut scenes of all different things pastor you you fill in the blank probably pastor anderson being the most notorious you know the one they hate the most and we'll find where he's just kind of said something you know without thinking like, i'm going to say things i don't i don't believe like in terms of you're going to slip up and say a funny word sometimes say a word wrong say something the wrong way round while you're preaching, okay? That's different to standing here behind a pulpit going, you have to, because I had a pastor that did this, you cannot get saved unless you turn away from your old life, yeah? And, you know, you, you, you know this is what the, the rich guy was told, he couldn't, he couldn't become a Christian, he couldn't get saved and still love riches and all, you know, I mean, you don't say that by mistake, <laughs> yeah? It's not an accident. Oh, I just kind of sit down. You didn't really, you know, I you know, just kind of started going into a big illustration and spent five minutes talking. Okay, that's very different, isn't it? Okay, but ultimately, like, in the end, these guys come out with it, don't they? Okay, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. But 
And when they say that, just to make it clear, it doesn't matter that they've said grace through faith how many times before. It doesn't matter that they've... Oh, but, but they have said it. Could we would do this? Like, yeah, but I've got a video where Billy Graham says it's grace through faith. He must be saved. He can't be a false prophet. Yeah, he just happened to be yoked up with everyone. You know, he happened to say that, you know, towards the end that actually there's all different paths to God and every religion's a different path to God. But he... I've got a video where he said it's grace through faith. Look, they speak out both sides of the man. These people are liars, okay? They will lie, so that doesn't matter, okay? What do they, eventually it's gonna come out. Eventually it does. But what if they're not a preacher? Because a preacher, it's a bit easier, isn't it? Someone's preaching for us, we, you know, we preach here. I'm generally preaching three hours a week, right? Maybe and some if I go over a bit on some of the sermons. You, go, you kind of get a fair idea what I believe, okay? But for some, they're not a preacher. So it's a bit harder to know, isn't it? And, and sometimes, look, you can't sit there and kind of sit through it all. And, and it can take a lot longer, therefore, can't it? So that's why, you know, people kind of come into churches. And you don't really know what they believe because you're not hearing them talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. But I do think eventually, eventually it comes out. And it might not necessarily be clearly because then you go, oh, well, that person, we haven't heard them say something that's a damnable heresy, must be saved can't prove that they're, they're a wolf or something like that. Well, the covetous guy will eventually be talking about money often, won't he? Okay? And it's not that every covetous person is, but it can be, you know, it goes hand in hand, doesn't it? So, and we've seen that, haven't we? Where we've had covetous people in here, which were wolves in the end, and, and because so much of else of what came out of their heart was spoken by their mouth as well. But, you know, they, like, like I've said many times, they ticked so many boxes, it was ridiculous. But one of the giveaways, in a way, was the covetousness, wasn't it? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the man speaketh. These guys just couldn't stop talking about money. Couldn't stop talking about their latest scam and their latest way of doing this and what they're getting, earning from work and what they should be earning and blah, 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 blah. It's always money, 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 money. Okay, and, and again, out of the abundance of the heart, the man speaketh. The, the division causer will eventually be saying divisive things, won't they? It, it will just come out. And out of the abundance of the heart, the man speaketh. And eventually you'll, you'll get it. And they can't really help it in the end because it will come out. It might take a while. It might take them to be more and more relaxed, but eventually it does come out. The boozer might even eventually mention it by mistake. Like we did have one of these guys do that, didn't we? Uh, you know, uh, when I get given a box of wine, uh, I mean, uh, uh, not alcoholic or so. Because it does come out in the end, doesn't it? Because eventually, at the abundance of the heart and the mouth speaker, eventually they have to talk about it. It does come out. And, and for by thy words, that's what he said, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And it's, that's ultimately what we're waiting for. And when I say waiting, that's, that's really the only clear way, is it? Well, no, it's not the only clear way. If someone's like queering away or something, that you, well, he hasn't said anything yet. Like, okay, it's pretty obvious, right? And there are other things, but... This is, the, you know, this is the most, the most usual way, isn't it? Okay? By thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now, let's carry on. Verse 38 says, And certainly the scribes and the Pharisees aren't saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. So he's just miraculously healed the man with the withered hand. Yeah? He's cast the devil out of the blind and dumb guy. He's already been performing healings, miracles, exorcisms. And he's God, yeah, just, just says not miss that bit. When he speaks, it's the word of God, and faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, doesn't it? And they're like, we need a sign, though. We need a sign. 
And it's like these people that, that you go and preach and go, well, if I saw God, then I believe. Or if, you know, if I saw this happen or that. But they're lying, really. Or at least they, they, maybe they think that. I don't know what they think deep down. But you know it wouldn't get them saved, would it? And it's the same with these guys. They, 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 you know, for them, it doesn't matter what he's doing. They still won't believe. They're claiming they need a sign. But what does he say? He says, but he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Now, if they weren't evil and adulterous, and adulterous here probably in terms of seeking other gods, they wouldn't be seeking a sign, would they? Because they would know it's a Christ, wouldn't they? Yeah, if they weren't spending their time seeking other gods, then they were just in the word of God, and they would know straight away this is the Christ, isn't it? There were people that were looking for the Christ, and knew it was a Christ, weren't there? Okay, we see, you know, different people in the scriptures, but... You know, people, you know, in the beginning of Luke and stuff and, and, and others, these guys, well, you know, in, in, instead they're looking for false gods. That's why they're not, you know, that's why they still apparently need their sign. So, but what he says, he says, he's saying this, here's your sign. So he says in verse 14, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, He's talking about the prophet Jonah who was swallowed by a whale. Now go back to Jonah, and I know we've gone through the book of Jonah not that long ago, a few months back. Um, but, you know, nothing wrong with a recap for many. Some might have not kind of been here for all of those. Um, now, Jonah was one of the many prophecies of the coming Christ in the Old Testament. And in chapter 1, there are foreshadowings of Christ. If you remember with Jonah sleeping during the tempest, like in Matthew 8, how he gives his life for the people you know, during that tempest who are trying to work, they're trying to work their way to, to that physical salvation, hard against the storm, they're trying to row hard and stuff, but sacrificing Jonah is the only way, so we see that, don't we, in, in, in Jonah chapter 1, and now look at Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17, where it says, Jonah 1, 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah is swallowed by this great fish, and we talked about this. You don't have to go in at depth. If God calls a whale a fish, it's a fish, okay? We don't care about, you know, whatever classification our, our all-wise scientists want to use. It's a fish, okay? Right, so Jonah's swallowed by this great fish, and those three days of three nights in the whale's belly are a prophecy of Jesus' three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, is this talking about the tomb that Jesus Christ's body was laid in after the cross? As I'm, I'm assuming this must be what the Jesus was in hell deniers like to... That must be what they're trying to say. But only if the tomb had steps going approximately 4,000 miles downwards would it be... Would, would the tomb be the heart of the earth? Yeah, it'd be a lot of steps, wouldn't it? 4,000 miles, apparently, is the estimate, it seems, to the centre of the earth, to the heart of the earth. Because what's the heart of something? The inner part of anything, in this particular context, the middle part or interior, as the heart of a country, kingdom or empire, the heart of a town, the heart of a tree. It's the middle part, isn't it? Yeah, the middle, the interior. Jesus Christ is in the centre of the earth for three days or three nights. What's in the centre of the earth then? Abraham's bosom? Is that the centre of the earth? Well, considering Abraham's in heaven, that would have to be a pretty big bosom. Or maybe a detachable bosom, wouldn't it? 
And in number 16, when, when you can turn there if you like, I know we've done this before, but turn to number 16. God does this new thing, doesn't he? And he, he sends a rebellious Korah and his gang alive into hell, yeah? And it says in number 16, you're going to look from verse 32. So numbers 16 and <clears throat> verse 32. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down, down, alive into the pit. And the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. What's in the heart of the earth? Well, apparently the pit. What's the pit? Well, it's hell. It's hell. You have to turn there. Revelation 9.2 calls it the bottomless pit, which makes sense. It's in the centre of the earth, doesn't it? I don't know if that really fits with the flat earth theory, but hey-ho, we're not really fussed about that, are we? Because the Bible says that it's in the heart of the earth. It's bottomless because the earth is a globe, and he opened the bottomless pit... And there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. So the pit, which is there when you open up the earth and people go into, well, it has a great furnace in it. Sounds a bit hellish. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit, says Revelation 19. Now look back at Jonah and then just to finish that off, Jonah chapter 2 verse 1 says... Jonah 2, 1, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I and thou heardest my voice. So this prophecy of Jesus Christ has Jonah burning in stomach acid in a whale's belly and Jonah calls it the belly of hell. Okay, remember it's like a foreshadowing, it's a prophecy of Jesus Christ Jonah 2, 6, obviously Jonah couldn't go to hell or he wouldn't have been coming back again, right? Okay, that would have been a bit of a harsh one. Sorry, Jonah, you're taking one for the team here. Because Jonah, Jonah was saved, he was a prophet of God. And Jonah 2, 6 says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord, my God. Clearly a picture of hell, right? With Jesus Christ also being raised from the dead, yeah? Now... We're going to come back to Jonah in a minute, okay? But, but we are going to go, go back to Matthew, but we're going to go to Acts first. So if you want to put something in Jonah, um, okay, but go, go to Acts chapter 2. And while you turn now, I'm going to read Matthew 12 again, where he said in verse 40, he said, this is your sign. He said, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the world's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He said, I'll be three days and three nights in hell, but I'm coming back, yeah? Because that's what he's saying, isn't he? Everyone else goes to hell and never comes back, which is exactly what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. Look at Acts 2 and verse 22. Peter said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, this is Acts 2, 22, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. It was clear as day. They didn't need any further signs, did they? Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken him by wicked hands of crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. That's imprisonment in hell, okay? That's imprisonment in hell. He loosed the pains of death. 
For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. David's prophesying of Christ here, okay, clearly, and it says this now, where it says, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit in his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. The truth is clear as day, isn't it? It's so, so clear, so obvious in the Bible. It's, I don't think you have to look too far either, really. If someone denies this truth, they're either ignorant or worse, they're a liar. If they're denying this, because look, it, it, it is a thing. If you're hearing people preaching this, and it, yeah, look, you don't have to go into false doctrine, but if you were someone who didn't believe this, and you were hearing this being preached by people that seem to have the gospel right, yeah? which we clearly do, and they're going out, if you're, you're a, you know, a, a real church and you're, you've got the gospel right and you're preaching the gospel, you know, and you believe all the, you know, the key points, you're not kind of changing, you know, God into some, you know, weird oneness creation or something else or any of that. If you believe all the fundamentals and you see a church, you would probably at least look into it, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Like we've all had to look into what is it? false teaching of Zionism, we've looked into the false teaching of, of a pre-trib rapture, we've looked into these things, yeah? We've looked into the false dispensationalism, and we can see it's all wrong. If you're on the other side of the, of, of the kind of side on this, if you looked at this, I mean, you only have to look at this, this passage alone. I have to look at Acts 2.31, and you, you're going to go, okay, I need to explain, how do you explain, how do you, how do they, anyone know how they explain this? Anyone know how they explain Acts 2.31? Or do they, just, do they just put a line through it? They just put a line through it. I don't know. I haven't really, because I've heard people go, it's heresy, it's Catholic heresy. But I've never really heard them explain why. Because it's clear, isn't it? And it's a strange thing. Why would you take that away from, from what Jesus Christ did for us? Because what an, like, it's even more amazing. Not only did God in the flesh die in a horrendous way on the cross, he went into hell. He went into hell for us. That is amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. Why would you ever want to take that away from God? And if you're going to try and take that away from God, you better give a good reason why. Otherwise, I think you're a liar or you're an idiot and you, don't, and you can't read clear scripture. So go back to Matthew 12 where he goes on and says, Matthew 12, verse 41, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Okay, so what, what does it mean that the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with his generation and shall condemn it? Well, at the great white throne of judgment, the fact that the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonas will condemn this generation, basically the people living at this time he's talking about, the people that he's talking to, the people who are living at that time. Okay, because there's someone greater than Jonah preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what he's saying here, yeah, God himself, yeah? 
Okay, now is this talking about the fact that the Ninevites turned from their evil way? Well, that would put them above the Pharisees, and you could look at this in two ways. You could look at it that way, because it would put them above these Pharisees, but, and, and I suppose it didn't say clearly, well, they'll be saved and they won't. It's just saying that they'll rise in judgment with this generation shall condemn it. Because everyone, basically, they're all going to be getting judged at that time, aren't they? That, that Well, at least, at least they'll be rising. They'll be going, and you could say rising here is saying that, well, they're going to be, they're going to rise to eternal life here. Their bodies, obviously, will be, will, 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 will be changed. But I, I don't know, because maybe if they, no, thinking about that, if they've died early there, they should be raptured, shouldn't they? So maybe not. But there is an interesting point here that, that if you go back to Jonah, go back to Jonah in chapter 3, because it's indicating that many of the Ninevites, or sorry, some would indicate that many of the Ninevites also got saved. Now, I'm not sure because, uh, I'm not sure about this. Go back to Jonah. Okay, so chapter 3. Jonah's being vomited out of the well, and this time he goes to Nineveh to preach. Look, verse 4 says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, verse 5 says, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. So, obviously, they're believing in the warning from God that he's about to overthrow them, okay? Now, some might say that, like I said, that they all got saved at this point too. And other people say that, well, you know, they got saved first, then they've done this. You know, to respond to God, maybe they, they must have got saved. But that's separate, obviously, to them turning from their evil way, okay? Obviously, because turning from their evil way, God called it works. God saw their works, they turned from their evil way, okay? And you ain't getting saved by works, you know, for by... Grace is saved through faith and not of yourselves, it's a gift, gift of God, not of works, okay? So that wasn't salvation after when they turned from their evil way. And I would say that many probably did get saved, I, I believe. Look, Jonah's there preaching to them. I'm sure he preached the gospel as well. Maybe many did. But I don't believe that the whole city, from the greatest of them even to the least of them, got saved. Okay, so where verse 10 says that it was their works that resulted in God not destroying the whole city... It says, and God saw their works, they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them, and he did not. I appreciate, obviously, that as unsaved, our works were as filthy rags, but this was about the punishment of a city, not salvation. Okay, this wasn't kind of a, an en masse salvation thing. This was talking about the punishment of a city. With that in mind, with that in mind, oh, look, many probably did get saved, right? And maybe some would argue that's why the statement by Jesus is, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preacher Jonas and behold a greater than Jonas is here. But this might have nothing to do with salvation at all. This might just be saying, look, like, there'll be people, basically they're condemning it because they, they responded to the preacher Jesus Christ. And, and that's ultimately the, the, the main application here is that these people responded, sorry, to the preacher of Jonas and these guys haven't, the Pharisees, this generation, haven't responded to the preaching of Jesus Christ, yeah? In the same way, the Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba in verse 42 says, the Queen of the South shall rise up in the judgment with this generation, shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So again, she's come from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear Solomon. And who is obviously a foreshadowing of Christ, but that's not the point, because she came a long way to hear his wisdom, unlike this lot trying to tear him down. And point being is that these people, you've got the Ninevites responding to Jonah, whatever way you want to see that, you've got the Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba responding to, or at least coming and seeking uh, Solomon, and then you've got these wicked bunch, and what seems to be probably the vast majority of what were known of as Jews, basically rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. That's the point, yeah? 
And then verse 43 then says, and, and he's kind of continuing this, where he says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Okay, so the first truth here is that if an unclean spirit, a devil comes out of someone, here's an interesting truth, he seeks rest. Notice that there. It says here, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest. What's a rest? It seems to be indwelling. So it seems that an unclean spirit, a devil, they seem to be constantly seeking indwelling. That's a pretty scary thought for the unsaved. Okay, it's not a scary thought for us because we have the Holy Spirit in us, but that's a scary thought for them that they seek rest. They're seeking that because they find none. You know, they, they go through these dry places, seek rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will turn to my house from whence I came out. When it's come, he findeth empty, swept and garnished. Now, when you compare this to the parallel passage in Luke 11, there are a couple of extra pieces of information here which really help. And it is, like I've said this before, it's when, you're, when you're studying parallel passages, always look for the things which aren't in the other one because a lot of the time they help shed light and there's some key information there. And, and one of the words here that's missing is empty. In verse 44, we see here, which we don't see in the Luke passage in 11, Luke 11, it says here, Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished okay that's a missing bit because the second truth is that when a devil comes out of someone they better not leave it empty and you could go well how does a devil come out now i don't know i don't know if devils go in and out maybe devils do maybe devils don't stay in people maybe there's ways that people can kind of resist an indwelling of a devil i'm not sure but i do know that here when jesus christ here casting out devils does it say that every single person he cast a devil out from got saved no in fact, he's casting out devils and his disciples en masse, aren't they? It seems that they're going around everywhere. It's constantly talking about them casting out devils, casting out devils, casting out devils. They're basically giving these people like the best chance they've got, aren't they? They're casting out all these devils. And, well, next piece of information, he says here, and this is a bit that's missing again from Luke 11, end of verse 45. He said, well, let's look at verse 45. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. So, basically, they're casting out devils. I believe that this is what basically happened to the majority of these people. A large amount of these people here is that like Jesus and the disciples are giving them the best possible chance. You know, they're basically condemning them ultimately because they get rid of their casting out devils out of the nation. Bait almost, it seems. They're just casting out devils. They're doing all these amazing things. They're preaching the gospel. And yeah, some do get saved. Yeah. Yeah. Many probably got saved. But he's still calling this generation wicked. I think the vast majority or at least the majority, well, they end up with even more devils in them. They end up rejecting him. They end up being reprobates. They end up, a large amount do. They, they bring a curse upon themselves. They're calling him possessed and everything else. And they end up with seven other spirits more wicked than themselves. And again, that goes hand in hand with what I was saying earlier about these that say they're Jews and they're not. But what are they? The synagogue of Satan. Okay, and... That's kind of, that's really what he's talking about here, isn't he? Now, there are some truths you can get from that as well, but, but he's talking about the nation. 
He's saying that generation. He's talking about all those people, isn't he? In the place where he's preaching. They're casting out devils. Are they getting saved and, and getting the Holy Spirit in there? Because if they don't, what happens? The devils come back with seven other more wicked than themselves. Verse 47. Verse 47 says, And one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. Now, by the way, that last bit, I know people, you know, you can apply that to getting things out of your life. And if you don't get saved, then maybe you're not, you know, you're going to end up in a worse state. But for me, the, the main application there is talk about that nation, is talk about that generation. Um, okay, so... And, and we're not, we don't believe in the, the spirit that, you know, some, you know, some of these Pentecostals preach that, the spirit of drinking. Oh, it's the spirit of drinking. That's why I just can't stop boozing. It's the spirit of adultery. I just can't get rid of that spirit. We don't preach that stuff here. So I don't believe that's really what he's talking about there. Okay, verse 47 anyway says, Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Now, at first glance, you can say this teaches that the disciples are the same as family. Oh, I'm into that, right? Okay, you know, if you're a disciple of Christ, you're recognised like a brother, you know, like, like, you know, like a sister or a brother, even a mother. How do we become part of the family? Well, like I say, Galatians 3.26 says, for you all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? So, yeah, we're, we're all part of the family here. Now, when he, when, he, when he stretched forth his hands towards his disciples, he's just, he's just talking to believers here. He's like going, look, you know, I, I don't think it's the point that they are disciples because he says, he says, whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same shall be my brother and sister and mother but what's the will of his father well it's to get saved isn't it and John 6 40 says and this is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth the son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and I'll raise him up at the last day so the will is that we get saved right so he's going basically whoever gets saved talking to like all these saved people here all these disciples that are following him so clearly they're following him they're saved they're, they're disciples the bible says here he's saying He's basically saying, look, these are, these are my, my brothers, these are my, my sisters, these are my mothers, right? But with this passage, we also see the ridiculousness of the Roman Catholic mediatrix, don't we? The goddess worship of this apparently sinless Mary. Because he's just, he's just basically gone, he's gone, who's my mother? Yeah, and he's also said he's better as well. But he's gone, oh, these lot, these are the same. But according to the Roman Catholic, you know, Mary's this like amazing goddess. And well, Jesus didn't seem to agree with that, did he? He just said, these people are on a par with my family. What are you talking about? In fact, they're kind of left without. They're without the camp, aren't they? Now turn over to Luke chapter 11. What are you turning on? I'm going to read Luke 147. And, you know, just, just a handy verses if, you know, you ever wondered about this sort of stuff. Luke 147 says, and my, this is uh, Mary speaking. And she says, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my saviour. So Mary called God her saviour because Mary needed a saviour because she was a sinner like everyone else. Okay, she needed a saviour. Now Luke 11, Luke 11 is a good one because like I've just mentioned Luke 11 earlier, it has a parallel passage in the middle of it to here in Matthew 12. But instead of this piece of dialogue, it has this one. And I love this bit of this passage here. It says uh, in Luke 11 and verse 27, And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. Is this the first Roman Catholic? 
<laughs> it sounds it, doesn't it? Like, Blessed is this woman, you know, it's like, wow, it's like a few, few hundred years too early. And, and you could say Jeremiah 44 as people worshipping a so-called queen of heaven, false goddess. Like, there's nothing new under the sun, is it? They've always tried to make a goddess, some sort of goddess, queen of heaven. And, and this woman, obviously, she's trying to make this, this you know, she, she wants to kind of start the Catholic faith, but she gets stopped in her tracks. Jesus said, no, we ain't got time for that. He says, but he said, yea, rather, notice the word rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Now, look, I'm not trying to say Mary wasn't a great woman. Mary was a great woman, but she, she ain't no God, okay? She sure as hell isn't a God, and, and definitely not to be worshipped, is she? Okay, she's not to be worshipped. She's not a God. And back in Matthew 12, back in Matthew 12, here's a question. Why is she without? So on the back of all of that, why is she without? Because they said without. Basically, she wasn't, you know, wherever he is preaching on the inside there. I would say because she's hanging around with his rejecting brothers, isn't she? She's with his brethren that at this point are still rejecting him. She's hanging around with basically God rejectors, isn't she? Okay? And look, Mary was saved. I have no doubt about that. But Mary's, Mary's outside. She's not, basically, she's not in church. She's not in church because she's too busy hanging around with the unsafe family. And if you go, oh, well, maybe they were, I don't know what, you know, maybe they're very young. Well, you know, Jesus Christ is, is in his 30s at this point. And yeah, okay, Joseph knew her not until she brought forth her firstborn son. But I don't think that it, she's, she's nursing babies at this point because, well, maybe she, I suppose it's possible, but I don't think that's the point. I think she's basically with his rejecting brothers outside of church instead of being where she should have been. She should have been there listening to his preaching. Oh, well, maybe she just wasn't for that bit. Why not? Why not? Jesus Christ is here. Well, imagine Jesus Christ in Wickford, walking around. Yeah, well, I'll be down in a bit. You know, I've got a few things to do. I'll just, you know, I'm just with the unsaved right now. Like, we're just hanging out a bit and, you know, just kind of chatting and going and doing. You'd be everywhere you went. You wouldn't want to miss a word, would you? And don't worry, I'm not trying to teach a new doctrine there where Jesus Christ could be walking around a week. <laughs> okay, just in case you're wondering, yeah. But I don't think you'd be, if you were there, okay, let's bring that back to, if you were walking around there, you know, I don't think you would be, if you were his mother, just kind of leaving him to it for a bit, would you? You'd, you'd want to, I'd be, wouldn't you be, or you should be wanting to hang on every word of God. But isn't that how it should be with church life? Really? Like this, we're reading the word of God here, aren't we? That's what Jesus Christ is saying. We're going into it. We're expanding it. And yeah, I'm going to get stuff wrong. Of course I am. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get everything right. But you're still hearing the word of God, aren't you? Yeah, you're around God's people. The Holy Spirit's in the room. Jesus Christ said, there am I amongst them. Where two or three are gathered in my name. Okay, so, or three or more, or, you know, I didn't butch that. But what, look, Jesus is here, right? Okay, we should want to be here, shouldn't we? People should want to be here. Mary should have been there. And instead, she's without. And does Jesus Christ go, all right, quick, get her in. Get her in. She hasn't, she's hanging around with the, with, with the rejecting brothers. Quick, get them all in now. No. He just said, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he says, behold these, the people that are here. And, and look, that's how Jesus looks at it, isn't it? Jesus looks at the people here. And sorry, all those, you know, church members watching, I understand there are circumstances, there are problems, there are issues and everything else. But Jesus sees the people in the house of God. Jesus sees the people around him and, and, and is saying, look, like, if you're without, you're without right now. That doesn't mean you can't come in. doesn't mean God hates you. He didn't hate Mary. He loved his mother, didn't he? He, he, he made a point of getting the, the Apostle John to look after his mother. 
But at that point, there wasn't, oh, well, special allowances. Now, look, you need to come and listen to the Word of God, don't you? You need to be around the Word of God. You need to be listening to the Word of God. You need to be around Jesus Christ. And, um, yeah, that's a choice we all have to make, don't we? Christ or the rejectors, really. And, and here, you know, it's, are you going to hang around with those outside? And then make it almost, for many, it will be a reason then not to come, won't it? Because they're the ones, ultimately, that pull you away. It's the, it's the world that pulls you away. It's the world that pulls you out of church. It's the world that stops you going to church. It's the world that keeps you out of your Bible. It's, a, it's the world, and it's people. And, a, and the devil uses all sorts of people, not just his, his own children. He can use many ways, and, and, and the flesh as well will take any excuse not to, not to be around God's Word, unfortunately. We want to be in the Spirit. We want to be in the Word of God. We want to be in church. We want to be around God's people. We want to have Christ in the middle of us. Um, on that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you, um, thank you for, for just you know some great truths there in, in your word. Um, I, I hope I've expanded them as you'd want me to, Lord, and, and I pray that, um, that that everyone here would, you know, would just just think about some of those truths, Lord. Think about, you know, the the, the fact that look, we're we're blessed to be called your your family, Lord, and we want to be around you. We want to be as near to you as possible. We should want to be around you, you know, as much as we possibly can every minute of every day help us to all want that lord help us to help us to also just you know appreciate what you've done for us appreciate that yeah you you went you went and burnt in hell for us and and let let, let these you know hell rejectors you know fight and argue amongst themselves that we know the truth lord we we know what what you've done for us we appreciate that we love you lord we we, we you know we thank you for everything you've done for us for what you went through for us we don't want to diminish that um and we pray that you just help us to to you know live more for you lord to to want to be around you more after everything you've done for us and um help us to do that for the rest of this week lord and to get back here on sunday for another day in your house in jesus name we pray all of this amen, amen.